0: to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash with you, and I'm excited today because we have a guy who knows success. He knows how to build businesses. Ron, Ron Malhotra. Is that the correct pronunciation, Ron? That,
1: that is, Tony. Thanks very much. for um, Thanks for welcoming
0: me. Great. And he's got uh, a bunch of books out already, and you can see them on our website. Uh, the last one, and probably the, the hottest one, Impossible to Fail. And he's got a new book, How to Speak speakers and that is coming out very shortly do that uh, well maybe you know all of us uh, but those that do a bit of speaking probably want to always take it to the next level so welcome to the program and before we gonna kind of go off on our journey can you tell us a little bit about your background and why success and public speaking all these um, all these books that you've written um, what, what what are you drawing on what sort of experience have you drawn that on
1: yeah, thanks. Uh, great question, Tony. So I was actually a massive underachiever for most of my life. And uh, I struggled at school, I struggled at university, uh, and I was unable to hold down a job. And this kind of continued right up until my mid-20s. And uh, by the time I was in my early 30s, one area of my life that I had conquered was the money part. So I was doing very well financially because uh, I had made money a big uh, a goal and I wanted to succeed in the corporate world. But what happened was, by the time I I was 31, I'm 43 today, so when I was 31, I kind of had this, um, I realized that uh, I had no sense of fulfillment. And even though I was working for a top private bank, and I had a very good salary, and I had all the perks, um, internally there was something missing. And so I was coming home, and I was having arguments with my wife, and I was never happy, and I was getting migraines every weekend, and I felt that there was something wrong. And at that point, somebody suggested that I speak to a mentor and I got my first mentor at the age of 31. And and the first question that the mentor asked me was, who are you? And that kind of threw me off because I realized that I had absolutely no sense of identity. I didn't know who I was other than my name, my occupation, my religion, my nationality. And it kind of dawned on me that majority of people have absolutely no idea who they are. And so really, my real education started at the age, age of 31. But the difference was, I kind of realized that the most successful people in the world weren't those who had made a lot of money, but those who had made a lot of money doing what they love and were able to make the difference that they wanted. So even though I had tertiary qualifications by the time I was 31, I think my real education started at 31. And that's when I started to understand the link between psychology and results and the link between spirituality and energy and results. Uh, I then start, started to ask myself this question, what is success? Because we know that everyone has a different definition of success and it varies from person to person. But I realized that there was success was simply a, a person's ability to design the life and lifestyle that they truly wanted. And obviously, in order for you to be able to design the life and lifestyle you truly want, you need to know what you want and you need to know who you are. So as I did more and more research, and I looked at a number of areas, I looked at uh, neuroscience, uh, traditional psychology, science of achievement, metaphysics, uh, spirituality, theology, sociology, philosophy, I just found myself to be on this obsessive quest to find the answer. I realized that there was three particular ingredients that a person needed to have a holistically successful life. And the ingredients are, number one, mastery of self, and that means understanding how you work, how your mind works, how your emotions work. Number two. Mastery of business and financial fundamentals, simply because we live in an economic world and money is a massive driver of choices. And third is the mastery and understanding of spiritual or energetic principles. And I felt that where these three integrate is where you are able to create the life and lifestyle that you want. And I know it's a pretty audacious title. A lot of people said to me, Ron, no, it sounds very arrogant. The way you look in that picture, it's got this. I said, no, it's not about arrogance. It's about confidence. It's about knowing that you have all the tools that you need in order to be able to design the life and lifestyle that you want. And that's why uh, I chose the the title, Impossible to Fail.
0: Mm. So what, um, obviously you're an author and you've got a a half a dozen books out. What, but what do you, um, is that, what's your main work um, that you do now? Are you an investor? Are you you a, a mentor yourself, coach?
1: I'm a teacher, really. I, I see myself as a teacher. I, I, by spirit, I'm a teacher. I know this because I, as I went through the self-discovery process, I realized that I'm actually a teacher by spirit. I'm an entrepreneur by mind. It's an acquired skill. I have become an entrepreneur. I've got I've got a few businesses. But really, in my spirit, I'm a teacher. It's what I enjoy. So all of our businesses are in the area of advising, consulting and training. Uh, and uh, effectively, they're all just forms of teaching. Uh, that's why I love anything that has to do with teaching, whether it's advisory, consulting, training, speaking, writing. Uh, they're, for me, all of them are just simply forms of teaching. But teaching in a way that actually causes permanent transformation. i spend a lot of time saying, thinking, you know, people don't need more information. What they need are unique insights that are going to cause deep, permanent, and sustainable paradigm shifts. And so I always try and approach my topics from that perspective, I keep them very simple but I try and create the insights that are going to create lots of aha moments for people so that there is permanent shift in the way they think
0: and and so therefore uh taking your book impossible to fail which is already out and on on our website and and I assume you can buy it in a number of bookstores what um what's the customer base is it really for everyone is it for anyone that's in business is it for is it for teenagers, family members? Who's, who's, the, who's, the, who's the audience?
1: Well, it's interesting. I have a lot of young people that are buying books simply because their parents um, who have been following me are recommending that the kids read the book. But really, I wrote it for people who had stagnated in life, not people who were struggling but had stagnated and didn't know why they had stagnated. So they did all the right things. They got the professional education. They went and got a good job uh, working their way up the corporate ladder. They did all the right things, and now they're finding that they're just stuck and they don't know why they're stuck. And a lot of people unfortunately believe that the way they're going to get unstuck is by acquiring more information. And that's not happening for them. So uh, my target audience is always ambitious people. Um, People who are not ambitious or the ones that tend to justify uh, why life is not about achievement and accomplishment typically don't like me and don't gravitate towards my message. But those who are ambitious and they want more out of their lives uh, those kind of people I find are typically uh, they they like this type of message. They're not offended by the title. Uh, they see why uh, there is uh, an air of ownership in that title, and they and they're okay with it. But uh, I can understand that some people, you know, because I get a lot of feedback on you know I just don't like the way you portrayed that title. And what about this? And what about that? And so I suppose it's not there to appeal to the um the victim mentality. I guess uh, without sounding too harsh.
0: Mm. So, so given you've been on a journey for a dozen years and the question that your mentor asked you, who are you, um, obviously you probably do that when you're meeting with people and you, you try and, um, motivate them or, or prod them a little to get them to embark on a similar journey to yourself. But what other questions have you. Uncovered that you might use with someone. Someone. So those who are listening now, I'm. I'm not. Um, I want you to go out and buy, you know, Run's book or books. Um, the one I'm holding in my hand now is impossible to fail. But um, what are some of the other probing questions that can can crack open someone to take a journey on the inside?
1: Well, most of the people who come to us are people who are already achievers. And so we get a lot of executives, uh, we get uh, CEOs, uh, people who have built businesses, listed businesses, uh, but what's actually happened is they're plateaued, but they've stagnated and they don't know why. So I always start the conversation, if I'm personally mentoring them or anyone in my team is mentoring them, we always start with, what is your question? Because we can tell a lot by what a person chooses to ask. We always see the quality of question that people come up with, and we can tell a lot by that. We also ask them to just tell them about who they are. And again, what they choose to tell us tells us where their attention has been. So for example, if I said, Tim, Tony, tell me about yourself and you spend the first five minutes talking about your business, well, there's a pretty good chance that you take pride in your business and your identity is tied with the work that you do. Uh, some people may talk about the past trauma that they've experienced or a big challenge that they're facing right now. But that kind of tells us a lot about um, the way how people have uh, you know, what, what is this image that they're carrying of themselves. Uh, what we realize is that ultimately there are a few determinants that will result in the types of decisions that you're going to make and the types of types of actions you're going to take. Uh, the first one is uh, how you see yourself. So you're not going to outperform your own self-concept. Uh, everybody has a, a, a concept of themselves that's typically been acquired by or acquired through um, education conditioning, media conditioning, parental conditioning, cultural conditioning, and that drives the decisions that they make. Uh, it's, all fa- it's all fake, it's all been made up, it's all fabricated, it's not real. So the question then becomes, well, if you're going to have, if you're going to operate from a fake self-concept, why can't you just replace it with another fake concept, but that the one that's more self-empowering? Uh, because uh, unfortunately, uh, most of the self-concept, the self-concept that most people have inherited or adopted uh, are disempowering to them. Um, So we got to help them understand that and, and then we give them the tools to understand that how they're able to implant certain concepts into the deepest part of their psyche so that it becomes a natural and effortless part of their behaviors rather than relying on willpower. Uh, interestingly, there's a lot of science that's coming out which is supporting this sort of stuff. Heart Math Institute is starting to demonstrate now that people's hearts actually have natural intelligence, meaning that we intuitively know what we're supposed to do in life, uh, but we tend to trust the intellect a lot more than the uh, the heart's intelligence. Uh, for me, I suppose, Tony, one of my greatest learnings has been that the beginning of wisdom is to know when to rely on instinct, when to rely on intellect when to use imagination, and when to rely on your intuitive senses. Uh, unfortunately, if you look at our education system, the academic education system, it teaches you how to use the intellect to solve all of the world's problems and all of your life problems. The issue is it's, uh, intellect is not a great solution for all your problems. Uh, in fact, Einstein said that uh, in the intellect causes as many problems as it solves. So the ability to know that you've gone too much into your head And you need to detach from what's actually happening and then use one of the other mental faculties to solve your problem is something that doesn't come to us naturally and it's not something that the educational institutions talk about. So uh, unfortunately I uh, also feel that a lot of the traditional psychology out there um, uh, hasn't really discovered some of this stuff which now we're starting to discover the American Medical Association, the work of people like Deepak Chopra, uh, people like Bruce Lipton, Um, Joe Dispenza, all of this is starting to demonstrate that there is a clear link in how we think. Thoughts produce electrical energy, our feelings produce magnetic energy. When we have our thoughts and feelings in alignment, we produce a very powerful electromagnetic energy. And then the question then becomes, is that electromagnetic energy capable of influencing the matter around us? Uh, Another way to put this is, are we able to change our circumstances rather than be changed by our circumstances? and uh, now I've been practicing these principles for a number of years and uh, my first claim to fame when I did my first uh, uh, keynote presentation was how I achieved 104 goals four major goals in the last four years and it wasn't a brag it was more about the fact that once you understand the principles you can actually use them you can replicate them over and over again to achieve what you want and what you really mean managing ultimately at the end of the day is your energetic state and you're redirecting to what you want and minimising the incidence of you putting your attention on what you don't want. It's a mental discipline which can be developed through practice.
0: Mm. So, so just repeating back to me, if your intellect, well, you use your intellect, but then you've got intuition, instinct, and what was the fourth? Imagination. Imagination. I'm going to contemplate on that for the next couple of days, I reckon. that's a that's a good one. Definitely, intuition for me as a as a CEO of Booktopia is something that I've um, that I've drawn on. Instinct and intuition. Can you, in your own from your own experience, give us give me the difference between the two? I think instinct
1: is the more sort of pre-programmed response, uh, the more primitive response, uh, the the response that's triggered by the nervous system. Uh, a lot of people who uh, uh, who embrace spirituality would tell you that there is no place for instinct in the real world. I kind of disagree. I think there are times when you need to have the instinct on. Uh, and it kind of, for most people, uh, most people actually operate a lot out of instinct. If you look at the Barrett Institute of Consciousness, uh, and you, you look at their work, or you look at David Hawkins' work around the way people sit on consciousness, majority of people who are operating from a low consciousness, meaning... They're unable to design the life and lifestyle that they want. They're stuck in perpetual struggle. You find that those people spend a lot of time in instinct, meaning that their nervous system will basically make the decisions for them. Uh, they're very quickly going to a, a fight, flight, or freeze response, and majority of the decisions are being made from there. Uh, then, of course, there are people who we see as the the you know the successful people in our society, people who doctors, lawyers, engineers, so on and so forth, management consultants. These people have very highly developed intellects, and they tend to use the intellect for a majority of their life decisions. Um, What my observation has been, and this is not in any way being critical, but this is just about uh, bringing another perspective that people may not have, um, you know, may may have missed. And that is that professionals tend to be very good in certain things, but they still have a lot of fear and they don't use their imagination for the right thing. So they typically use their, their head a lot. Uh, rather than using their intuitive senses. So intuitive sense is a bit, bit more of an innate intelligence. It actually comes to us when we're not thinking, okay? So it's one of the things I talk about is just making some space for, to be led by this, uh, this intelligence. And it comes from the notion that not all of the intelligence resides in the human brain, uh, that there is intelligence out there in the quantum field. And if your subconscious and conscious is aligned, and you have complete clarity on what you want, you can tap into this content field to get these downloads. And I'm, if you like most people, you would find that some of your best ideas come to you when you're in the shower or when you're driving. Uh, there's a reason for it because your conscious mind is engaged with another activity. And if you, you have clarity on what you want and there is space because you're, you're not engaging with your own thoughts, uh, you'll find that typically that's when the epiphany moments come. So, nobody fully understands how intuition works but we know that there is enough evidence to suggest uh, that it works but you can put yourself in a position you can make it conducive for your intuitive senses to work a lot more and one of the things that i have found is the more you recognize it the better it gets a lot of people don't recognize it they don't acknowledge the fact that they had an intuitive sense Uh, they give credit to their intellect a lot of this stuff doesn't come from us um, and I suppose if it sounds a bit esoteric, uh, which I can imagine, it would sound very esoteric to people who have a very highly developed intellect. The question, one of the as an example, I would say, well, the room that I'm sitting in right now, um, is there radio waves in this room? Uh, there is. We can't sense it through our eyesight. We can't hear it until I get a radio and I start playing that radio. Then it can uh, you know, broadcast these radio waves into music. So the radio waves exist. That means that there is frequency in the quantum field. And the question is, is there intelligence in the quantum field? And if you look at the work of Napoleon Hill, or you look at the work of uh, some of the other people, um, uh, it wasn't Einstein, but I think it was... uh, uh, There's a number of people who basically say that a lot of their best ideas came when they masterminded uh, with people who had passed away to tap into their intelligence. So the question then becomes, if there's frequency around you, is there anything that you can do? Is there, are there any practices that you can engage in to tap into that frequency? So the frequency of how, how often you download these intuitive ideas, it becomes more frequent, meaning that you are, you, are um, you know, rather than getting an epiphany moment every now and then, you're getting them quite regularly. Uh, so there are practices that, that you can do. Of course, meditation is one of them. Uh, But, for example, one of the things that we say to people is don't just meditate and walk out in the real world because uh, you're in a highly suggestible state. Your subconscious mind is wide open. And as soon as you get out in the real world, largely the influences are quite negative. So when you meditate, bombard your senses with all the things that you want. And that will put you in alignment with yourself. And then that's one of the ways that you can start to tap into this intuitive intelligence. Mm. Now, the first time you hear these concepts, because I remember when I—it took me a while to actually get my head around how they work. Because it's one thing to understand them theoretically; it's another thing to actually understand them internally to the point where you go, "Aha! Uh-huh, I get it. I get it," because I'm using it and I can see how it's working. Um, and I think that's what—that's where my confidence comes from. It doesn't come from comes from my own capability, or it doesn't come from my own intellect. My confidence comes from an understanding of these principles. And these principles have been around for many, many years. We've had them in scriptures. We've had them, uh, some of the uh, most renowned philosophers and uh, you know, authors have talked about them for many, many years. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't been understood, I don't think, uh, by the masses. Uh, and so, you know, for me, it's just providing another integrated perspective so that people can understand how these things can work for them as well.
0: Mm. So the one thing, I mean, for me, intuition is, um, I like to think of it in this way it's, you break it up into two words so in tuition you know, tuition is the is the, the you know the fee that you pay to do a course it's the it's the the lessons that life gives you and you take all those lessons and you put them in your gut um, and when things happen then you're drawing on your life experience so that um, that's my interpretation. but I've never really thought about instinct because that's obviously everything that, um, that you automatically uh, handed down generation to generation from, one, from you know, one member of the species to the other, you're drawing on because you've got no uh, experience um, at all to draw on, to use your intuition. So that's your first responder. Um, and then the, your intuition is there. Then once, uh, and which is very automatic, and you, and you need to build that into your automatic systems. You need to learn things and you need to chunk them down and go, all right, I got it, now I can. And in business, things come up out of left field that you need to um, trust your intuition on. You meet people, deals come up, opportunities arise, businesses that you could buy or decisions that need to be made, you're quite often relying on past experience, failures, and successes. Um, the intellect makes sense, and then your imagination is everything beyond that. When you're trying to tap into that universal database of, you know, what doesn't exist but could exist, and and uh, so I, I really get what you're saying. It's really it's a really helpful model for me. And
1: yeah, and, and I, I think, think that. The, the the with the uh, and you're absolutely right because when you imagine something, you're actually creating it in the quantum field. Uh, metaphysically, it's already created. Now it's just about inducing it into the physical and you there are a number of things you can do to do that Uh, but it's not just about mental work it's actually about programming your mind in such a way that the decisions and actions that result in the manifestation of the outcomes that you want happen naturally and effortlessly so this is not all mental work but the thing is what we don't want is to rely on willpower to take those decisions and to take those actions um one some one person said to me you know one of the i can't remember who it was but they um I think I know who it was. It was somebody I used to work with many, many years ago, but I'm not sure. But one of the things that uh, I think they said to me was that one of the ways you can differentiate instinct from intuition is that intuition whispers, instinct screams. And um, and I think instinct's obviously a natural intelligence as well. It's it's pre-programmed. Um, I I certainly don't want to spend too much time in instinct because that means that uh I'm being run by my system as opposed to being the architect of the system. Um, Having said that, I don't want to get rid of it because I have seen that there are, as you would know as a business person, there are uh, times when you need to rely on it. Um, And, uh, you know, you sometimes, and as unfortunate as it is, sometimes you need to fight in life for things. You know, things don't just uh, come to you with um, being harmonious. At times you have to fight, but it's a good fight. And so I kind of feel that for that, I preserve that instinct part. But I'd certainly use it sparingly because the whole idea is as you get involved as a human being, you're spending more time in your intuitive and imaginative faculties, and less time in intellectual and uh, instinctive faculties.
0: Mm. Very, very interesting. Love it. Thank you. Um, so if I grab your book now, Impossible to Fail, and sometimes you can get a bit of an insight looking at the table of contents, um, and you've got a number of chapters with... I, I assume it's one of those books where um, maybe if you've either read it or even if you haven't and you can just grab it and open it up onto a page or a chapter um, that your, your instinct, your intuition will probably have the right information on the right day. That's the way that I like to live my life. Um, is it a book where you need to really work through and kind of make your way from the beginning to the end? Is that going to help uh, the reader? kind of get the best out of what you put together or could they literally um, and randomly if, um, just grab a, a, a page and I've I've, I've opened uh, here to becoming a su- successful leader. Ultimate leadership is helping others achieve personal success and I go, well yeah, maybe that's relevant for today and I'm the leader of my company. so what does that mean to me? What, what's your what does your intuition say about that?
1: Well, I I like your approach and that's exactly what I would have recommended is uh, to allow your intuitive sense to guide you in regards to what you need to read. So rather than feeling this uh, resistance and pushing yourself to read it from uh, cover to cover, just pick up a page and start reading. And that's exactly how I read. You know, I just I just ask myself, what do I feel like doing? What's my natural gravitational pull? Because maybe there is something telling me to do something for a reason. Uh, rather than going, well, I have to do everything in a sort of systemized, linear way. Uh, so I like your approach, and I, I don't think there is any need for the book to be read in from cover to cover. You can just pick up a page and see what uh, jumps out, jumps at you. And I uh, I heard somebody once say that books, uh, we don't choose books, books choose us. So I'm guessing it's a very similar concept. You look at the contents page and see what jumps out at you. Mm.
0: In fact, when I was uh, I did the business school for entrepreneurs with Robert Kiyosaki in Hawaii in '93. It was a 16-day workshop, and they brought this guru in to do, teach us meditation and other you know, metaphysical concepts. It was he came from India uh, with a long beard and a and a nice flowing gown. It was a very interesting day, and and he talked about a lot of things that um, uh, um that I could understand and I was already on a bit of a pathway to more of the spiritual metaphysical uh, possibilities that the universe has um, rather than being very fixated on on traditional thinking and and you know intellect as you were talking about before and when I was holding his book in my hand um, I could feel the vibration within the book and it was quite a weird thing. So now I could grab a book, which I can feel the vibration in your book, and therefore I can get a sense of what what what's in it, what what's there. It's a it's a weird thing. Probably people think I'm a little crazy, and uh, and that gives them a bit of a um, like. I'd never thought Tony Nash, the CEO of Booktopia, would be saying that, but um, I do I do believe in that. There's a lot of things that we do not know and will never know. Um, and so why sit here thinking that we know everything? Um, my mind is very much open to the fact that we, um, that the the little that we know is, uh, much less than we, when we realize. So, um, I think there's a, you know, going off on a bit of a tangent there, but I think that a lot of what you're talking about in terms of, uh, working with, uh, people who are ambitious, ambitious and successful is bringing, um, a number of aspects to their life, which you've had to do yourself. I've had to do it, um, which is more spirituality, um, grounding yourself, things that perhaps are not learnt in a university lecture room, that um, can be found by walking in a forest, uh, on the beach, spending time with your friends, with your kids. Um, that is that is that very much your experience of the people that you work with. It's it's kind of giving them a, a much more three-dimensional view of of how the interconnectedness of all these things and if you're only working on one specific area then you're going to ultimately limit yourself to your your growth yes
1: Yes. and Um, keep in mind that i am a wealth advisor so i'm very numerically and financially orientated i'm a numbers guy we have a business advisory so we live in the pragmatic world we deal with clients we handle money Uh, you know i have i have Uh, highly developed intellect in those areas, which over the years I have gained the necessary experience to be able to competently carry out those tasks. So why would somebody like me even talk about these esoteric concepts? Is it like some sort of a magical awakening? Well, it isn't. I actually approach everything from a very pragmatic perspective. And my question simply is, you know, are we able to achieve more when we start to understand and integrate these principles? I could achieve as much without the integration of these principles, but the experience will be different. It feels more forced, it's a bit like um, swimming against the tide rather than with it. Uh, So the understanding of these principles, these metaphysical principles, which now you feel as well, is that once you start to integrate them in your being and the way you work, uh, you you have a lot more faith and confidence in how things are going to work out. Uh, You're not influenced by your circumstances you know you have the power to influence your circumstances so that's that's confidence that you can't buy you can't learn it through a degree you can't learn it through um, a lot of the other things that they teach you even from a public speaking perspective there's a lot of non-tactical stuff in there um, because you can learn, learn about public speaking just by googling it and there's a lot of people that'll give you tactics and strategies around it uh, but for me, it's about the, the understanding. And one of the hardest things has always been that some of this stuff sits so far outside the domain of the intellect that it actually becomes difficult to explain it. You just know it because you've experienced it. You understand it. Uh, you've internalized it. But when you have to verbally explain it and articulate it to somebody, again, you feel like, well, I have to break this massive intelligence to this level of intellect so you can understand it. And so the thing is, there's only so much you can do. Ultimately, uh, we try and dissect some of these principles in a way that they can they can be understood and they can be applied. But the, the ultimate way to understand them is through experience. You've got to convert the knowledge into experience. So there has to be some willingness and some openness to say, hey, you know what? Let me try this. I've been in perpetual struggle for a while. Um, as I always say, you know, um, everyone has struggles, but... If you're in perpetual struggle or you're in perpetual suffering, then there's a pretty good chance that that you are unknowingly in conflict with some universal laws and that's what's causing the issues in your life. And I had, same thing happened to me for many, many years. Even though I was achieving, it was coming at a great price. And, um, you know, and I didn't have that real confidence that I have today. And the confidence is not in me, it's actually in the understanding and application of these principles. So we try and capture what we can in a book, of course, and we try and capture as much as we can. And it does take a little bit of time for it to sink in, uh, especially for people who are intellectual. Uh, we find that because they spend so much time in their head, uh, they try and understand everything from that space. Uh, and I don't know if we understand everything from that space. I think there are some things that we just, we have these, um, we have to embody certain things. But I don't think we can learn everything through the intellect. But just being, be taking them on this journey is interesting. I finished a contract with a client who is in Israel. He's a CFO. Uh, yesterday we had our last session. And he said, you know, I, everything has changed for me in the last 12 months. The way I look at myself, the way I look at the world has changed. And a lot of those conversations were very practical. It was about money. It was about investing. It's about how he was going to, uh, you know, how the approach he needed to take in his business and how to make complex decisions. Uh, we didn't have a proper structure. We literally just allowed the conversation to go in a direction because it was making some space for the intelligence to guide me and I asked the clients to do the same things, rather than feeling like it's got to be this particular way. That approach has never worked for me. I, I really struggled at school because it was like, we've got to do this now, you've got to do this now, you've got to do this. Uh, I'm very well planned and organized in our businesses. We have structures. Uh, we have daily disciplines. We have 90-day plans. We have... Uh, courtly kpis expectations all of that works but it doesn't rule me and it doesn't rule my business practices uh, and that's why it's just finding that balance where you have that what i call the the right blend of having disciplines and yep we've got to do it this way yes we've got to be planned we've got to be organized but then also having being in a state of allowing things from time to time and i'm always finding that i'm it's a, it's a balancing act And sometimes it goes uh, out of balance very quickly, but once you understand these principles, you can bring it back into balance.
0: Yeah, so um, while we're we're at this point, I'm just going to remind everyone, I have Ron Malhotra with me, author. I've got a book here called Impossible to Fail. He does have other books, one that's coming out very shortly on how to speak like the world's best public speakers, but Eight Wealth Habits and Magnify, Make Your Life Matter. And and so he's a he's a prolific author now, and it's um and you can buy his book on Booktopia's uh, website, and I'm sure in many other bookstores as well. It's really a fascinating conversation, Ron, because we, um, I mean, we all aspire. Uh, to, many of us aspire to be successful in what we do for work and uh, sport and. Uh, you want your kids to do well and you um, it does feel that we're on a bit of a uh, on a railroad to um, not not being unauthentic um, but kind of like a bit of hollowness it's like it, it, everything that we do everything that we're wanting to accomplish I mean we're bit, this is going beyond going on for a century already Um is there? Do you feel, with the work that you do, that there's a there's a groundswell of, of people coming back and saying, you know, what are we doing? What what is it all about? Um, I need to. And has the pandemic, which for those that are listening, we're right in the still in the thick of it. It's it's October of 2020, so it's now seven months of the pandemic. Uh, have you found that many people have had a chance to stop and question and 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 spend time with family, maybe walking in the park, in the forest. Um, how, are, we, are we at a crossroads at the moment? How, how are you seeing that play out?
1: I think this has been happening for the last five years. I have seen a move away from capitalist thinking, um, like the word wealth and success have become dirty words, especially in the Western world, uh, because we have already seen and experienced a level of affluence and find, found that uh, a lot of people uh, are depressed and anxious and suicidal and so we're not finding a positive correlation between the wealth and the accomplishments that we have uh, and the incidence of uh, mental illness uh, is, is is it it's increasing it's not it's not decreasing i mean the world health organization said that mental illness is going to become the leading cause of disability by 2020 which is this year and interestingly they made this prediction a few years ago now here's the here is the risk though when these things happen unfortunately a lot of people will make success and wealth and accomplishment and capitalism the enemy that's not the case so we'll see what we what we've seen for the last 5 years is a swing away from this um you know this 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 uh, need for accomplishment expansion and expression towards this denial of it and this uh, what i call a superficial move towards new age spirituality which is you know what, it's not about success, it's about being happy, it's about being fulfilled. And I think both are two extremes. Uh, The person who has significant accomplishment orientation uh, and wants to become successful commercially and financially uh, without much regard for who they are and and the impact of what they're doing on the planet versus those who want to do all the right things for the planet but are not resourceful enough, not accomplished enough to be able to make things happen. they are two extremes. The answer is somewhere in the middle. It's the integration of the physical and the spiritual, not the denial of the spiritual and neither the denial of the physical. And so what we're starting to see is a whole new generation of um, people that are emerging that don't like the capitalist system. They don't like people like me. They look at a guy like me who runs a wealth practice, is in a suit, wears a nice watch, drives a nice car, has a a title called impossible to fail, and there's automatic hatred or resentment. not realizing of course that so much of my, my accomplishments are attribute to the adoption of spiritual and universal laws. But they don't take the time to understand that because the instincts sort of taken over and it's given them this impression of this particular type of person. So they don't like the capitalists. Um, and so, so it's interesting. And then um, you know, at the same time, there's a lot of people in our industry who are you know, very intellectual, very financially and commercially driven. Uh, when I, If I have a spiritual-based conversation with them, they might look at me a bit weird and go, well, this guy's a bit too esoteric, what's he on about? And I think our education system doesn't really teach us you know, how things work. If you look at the origin of the education system, it was really designed to provide laborers for capitalists and uh, for people to specialize in a task. I always said there are four types of education. There's basic education, which is reading, writing, and basic numeracy. Uh, there's a second type of ed- education, which a general ed- education, biology, chemistry, logarithms, uh, geography. Third type of education, professional education, that teaches us to specialise in a skill so that we can trade time for money. Uh, fourth type of education, which is financial and business education, that teaches how to create finan- fifth, uh, financial wealth. And there is a fifth type of education, which is understanding energy, frequency, vibration and our connection with the world. If you look at our academic education system, schools, universities, corporations, what do they do? They specialize in the first three, not in four and five, right? So we have, we, we our society thinks we are educated when we have a degree and we are a professional, but we only really have uh, the top three types of education. We've got the basic, the general, and the professional. We don't really have financial. I, I know this because I have clients who are, Um, accomplished uh, doctors and engineers and you know so on and so forth and uh, a lot of them don't understand money and for the amount of money that they make their net worth should be a lot higher but also a lot of them are not able to manage their thoughts and their feelings and a lot of them are highly stressed and um, so it's it's you know, I think the education system, and we can't even blame the education system anymore because uh, the internet's been around for a long time now, so people should really be taking the responsibility themselves. And that's what, what we did was we designed programs which were all about enabling people to become holistically successful, holistically being the operative word, where you know who you are, you know what you want, you know how your thoughts and emotions work, so you're able to regulate them and redirect them to what you want. You want to make a difference because you know you can, but you're also financially and commercially successful. You're not denying that part of you because the thing is that world's not going to change to the point where we can just sit on the beach and be paid good money. The thing is everybody still people who say money is not important. Well, if I wrote them a check for a million bucks, would they, would they not take that check? Um, So money is still important. It's just about integrating it properly. And uh, I think financial abundance is very much aligned with spiritual principles. The denial of, Abundance unnecessarily is, I don't think it's wise. Um, so again, it's, as I said to you, when I when we started this conversation, I said, it's the, the mastery of self, the mastery of business and financial fundamentals, and the mastery of spiritual and universal laws. I believe, based on the research I have done, uh, that it's where the integration of these three elements happen is where an individual is Consistently able to design the life and lifestyle that they want, and that control in, over their own life is what produces a much higher level of satisfaction and fulfillment.
0: Mm. So, um, Ron, when before we started here, you may have wondered what we were going, we were going to discuss today. And as most people who listen to my programs, I I call it plugged and unplanned because it's very unplanned, and that's me being lazy and cheating and just having a nice conversation with someone who's knowledgeable about a certain subject. And as a CEO of a company, I've I've got a curiosity around what people know and what, what motivates them. And, um, but I don't want to, I don't want to go, uh, away from this conversation perhaps without, um, asking the question, is there anything that you thought that we could have discussed or thought that you might discuss or things that, um, You'd like to bring up that perhaps we haven't touched on yet. That um, that's important because we're here, we're here to uh, to interview you, an author. You've written a bunch of books. Um, hopefully, this will motivate people to want to go out and buy them and learn a bit more about what you've discovered and what what you teach. Anything else that um, you you want to kind of, or maybe ask me or um, to take this conversation a little further?
1: Well, nothing. I don't. There's nothing else I want to talk. Um, about myself, um, because when I came to this conversation, and this is one of those times when I'm demonstrating exactly what I'm talking about, is I came with no preconceived ideas or expectations. I wanted to go with the flow. So thank you for allowing the opportunity. But uh, yes, of course, I mean, we'd love to, I suppose um, your audience may or may not know a lot about you. I'm certainly keen to understand, you know, uh, who Tony is and how we started Booktopia and, uh, uh, you know, do you have a passion for books and authors? Is that what started it, or was that was it something else?
0: Actually, there was no passion for books or authors. Um, we were doing we were running an internet marketing business. When I say we, I'm in business with my brother and my brother-in-law. My brother recently retired, uh, but my brother-in-law and my sister, and uh, and so we were we were getting people to the top of Google, driving traffic into the, into websites. And my brother did a job to get Angus and Robertson to the top of Google. Which introduced us to the book industry, and and they used a company in Sydney to manage their site and fulfil their orders. So I used them to get Booktopia up and running. And I didn't um, I didn't have a, a passion for books. I'm not much of a reader. I like to read when I'm on holidays, but normally I've been busy. So um, so I wouldn't normally read uh, during you know during the working week. But I do listen to books now, audio books. i listen to a lot, and. And so, um, what I loved about books is I could quickly and intuitively picked up that it was a a really high barrier to entry because there's so many titles, so many authors, so many categories, and and my background in in running Google Ads for other companies, I could see how I could drive traffic into the website, and and so there was no plan. We started on the same day that Facebook started. In February, February the fourth, two thousand and four, uh, not that we knew that at the time, of course, um, and and um, took me three days to sell my first book. Um, I used the same company that Angus and Robertson was using. They managed our site, fulfilled their orders. If you want to go and see what it looked like, there's a website called Archive.org, and you can look up uh, the, what a website looked back looked like um, over the years. It kind of takes an HTML photograph, and you can see what Booktopia looked like back in February of two thousand and four very ordinary, um, three days to sell the first book. And then by the end of the month, I had done $2,000. Did I know what Booktopia was going to end up like today? Absolutely not. Um, by the fourth month, I was up to $30,000 a month. By the end of the year, $100,000 a month. By the end of cheese years, $200,000 a month. Did I think that by um, you know, the end of 2020, we would have a revenue of, of heading towards $200 million? No, nope, not at all. Um, so there was no, it was just kind of one thing led to another. And um, it was a number of years later, my mum, before she passed away, um, disclosed to us kids that, uh, and we'd may have been going for maybe seven years or something, she always wanted to have a bookshop when she was younger because she loved books and she loved reading. And so it was kind of ironic that her three kids ended up having a bookshop and one of the biggest in the country. Um, when that was one of her personal dreams when she was little. Um, so what I, yeah, what I liked about it was that, um, high barrier to entry publishers that were stuck still in the 20th century. Um, there was so many ways to kind of drive traffic. Amazon, the fact Amazon didn't scare me that they, that's what they were known for didn't bother me. Um, and, and so, um, we asked one question every single day: What do our customers want? And by by asking that question and then answering it, kind of defined our success. And and that that's always what we do. You know, what do they what do they want? What do they want? They want stock. They want it fast delivery. They want to have a good price. They want they want you to be Australian. They want you to have a call center to call people uh, to to talk to someone. Lots of different things that we did, um, and then you, you end up. $200 million in revenue, over 200 staff, $22 million of automation, $8 million of stock. And it all came out of that $10. We did we did our first capital raise in January of this year when our revenue was 150 million. So it was all organically grown. It's quite a um, unique and miraculous Aussie success story.
1: Yes. And thank you for sharing that. And I think what you call miraculous, I know that if I was to delve deeper into it, I think you would have ticked so many of the principles that I espouse and I uh, preach around uh, what results in success. And I can see that. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it's an amazing, is your mum still
0: around? No, she passed away um, five years ago. My dad's 85 and he's he's out jogging every morning and uh, doing exercise and being active. Mum and dad used to come and help in the, in the early days now we can't. We, I'm not even allowed into the distribution centre because it's all automated. But we would be at Christmas time. Mum would stay with us uh, packing um, and picking until three in the morning, and Dad would have gone home at one in the morning. And and so it was. Uh, there were there were some glorious days of of you know when you start out. But it's interesting. Okay, so that's the business side. From a personal side, um, for me, I've. Um, you know I've really invested in myself I've done a lot of personal development workshops over the years um, and I think that's that's really helped me lead um, in terms of confronting perhaps some of my limitations some of the uh, my belief systems and values that needed to be addressed and and so it's been a constant um, um, you know course of improvement um, so I, I invested all. For, for people to, um, who are listening, um, I invested a lot of myself when I was uh, when I was younger. Um, I didn't go to uni. I dropped out of high school. Um, I didn't. I, dropped, I got 56% of my HSC, but I dropped out of university. I, I scraped in where I mastered in Space Invaders and Snooker and found in accounting and economics, and and became the mailboy at the NRMA. Um, I so I didn't have a very um, um, solid base in terms of my education um and and it was only through business and and sales and marketing that i started to get some skills and earn good money but then i invested a lot of myself now it's been more um the the education has been in running a business so a lot of things come out of left field and my ability to be able to say bring it on you know like um i didn't expect that cost or that person to leave or this this agreement to end, and you've got to be able to roll with the punches. You've got to be able to say, "Bring it on!" I, I'm in business because i things things will be thrown at you. It's not a perfect ride. And then, uh, and then I'm. I also got married five years ago, and my wife is probably my biggest um, um, trainer, educator. Um, she holds me to account, and and I have definitely developed as a person by being. Uh, married to her because um, both of us uh, um, do not accept um, adequate um, or or average. Or we're both committed to being as best as we can. And by doing that, has actually really confronted a lot of personal crap that um, that historically I probably got away with, and I've I've had to stomp up and and be a better better person, a better partner, a better parent, a better a um, better, better leader in my company, so um, education, learning and development, I'm 57, and to me it doesn't stop, um, and that's the quest that we all have.
1: Well, thank you for giving us yes. the glimpse into your life, I don't know if you've been asked that question before, but I was genuinely curious to see you know, how you, what your journey has been, so thank you so much for sharing that, and certainly um, only validates and confirms for me in, I, I can see that you haven't even been over relying on your intellect. You know, you've had the courage to go after your vision and not be fixated as to how and when it's going to materialize. And that's a key factor as well for people who are able to accomplish big things in life. So well done and congratulations. And
0: thanks one. for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to be interviewing you. You're not, you're not supposed to oh, be. No, I am just curious. I, well, it's part of my, my, what I do is I like to find yeah. out about
1: People, It's a learning experience for me. So thank you for sharing that.
0: Yeah. You know, this, this these sessions are, to me is always about a bit of a chat, and um, I know that most of the time it's a reporter or a journalist interviewing an author about a book, and it's it's uh, it's got a line of questioning. Um, as a as a CEO and entrepreneur, um, I'm much more curious, and therefore it it should be a little two way. I, I like it when it's a bit two way, like like we go on, because people want to know how can a how can a guy with he got 56% of his HSC. I only found out a few years ago thanks to my wife that I have ADHD and I've lived with it all my life. Um, and it was only because my son was di- diagnosed because she could pick it up because my son's mother and I just thought it was being a you know, normal boy, but she picked it up. And then once I got onto my medication, I've been even uh, more more effective and more more focused. And so um, it's. It's um, you know one of those things that if you kind of think that you're there, um, then you're not. And and I, if people get a sense with me that hey, with all of his background, you know, ADHD, um, I've been bankrupt as well, um, and 56% of my HSE, you know, and you even shared some of your own personal, um, um, yeah, beginnings in terms of n- not being as as um, as like I, I bet you, some of your mates when you were when you were young and you said you were you didn't you weren't really going anywhere. If they saw you today, they go, "What the hell happened? How did you how did you end up here? How did you how did you become so successful?" And people and, to have gotten to this point. Uh, so have you written a book yourself? No, no. They they keep um, asking me, um, "When am I going to write a book?" Um, right now, with Booktopia growing the way it's going, I think um, I'll just keep keep working on. On the plan here, uh, but there'll be there'll be some books. I'm more into I'm more into business parables. Actually, I like you know, Who Moved My Cheese and uh, The Alchemist and yep. uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, uh, Illusions, books where there's a bit of a there's a bit of a you know you could
1: write one like that couldn't you? You could write one like that.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think that's more what I'm going to write. I'm going to write something that uh, the lessons are all there within a story. They're very quick and easy to read. They're probably e- Probably hard to write, but um, the the content is much smaller. We're coming to the end of our chat with Ron Malhotra here and author of Impossible to Fail, plus a bunch of other books, including his new one coming out very soon, called How to Speak Like the World's Best Public Speakers. And um, for those of you that are, uh, I know Seinfeld um, has a, you probably even have this quote in his book, Seinfeld has a quote, you know, if if public speaking is the number one greatest fear and death is number two, that means at a funeral you prefer to be in the coffin rather than delivering the eulogy. Um, (laughs) I I, I like that. Um, I like the the Seinfeld quote. So um, for those that perhaps have a little bit of fear around it or even if you enjoy it and want to improve your skill, he's got a a book coming out shortly there. Ron, it's been so great to have you on the show and uh, and congrats on your success and your journey um, I mean you're you're still very young obviously in your early 40s you've got a long way to go I look forward to hearing um, what more insights the universe serves up to you that you get to um, share with uh, with people that you work with and and what you do in your life uh, anything anything before we close out that you'd like to Um, No, thank you so much. I love the chat
1: and I'm glad that it wasn't uh, scripted and uh, I had a great time talking to you and thank you so much for the questions that you asked, uh, allowed me to um, share some of my experiences and I always say that, you know, um, how good I sound will come down to the questions that I'm asked, of course, and so thank you for asking me such really, really, really good questions and appreciate the opportunity to learn a bit more about you. So I'll stay connected with you, of course. And uh, I have a goal to publish my, uh, my next book um, uh, sometime next year, so before May. Uh, so I will be in touch with you. But thank you so much again for the opportunity, Tony.
0: Good on you. Thanks, Ron. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free